Welcome to the You Should Know This podcast by BCC Research. Our podcast features innovative companies and individuals who are working to shape, disrupt, and revolutionize not only their own industries, but also the way we'll live and work in the future. Each week, we talk to visionaries whose work is something you should definitely know about. Now, here's your host, Clara Mowit. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Clara Mawad, and as a content specialist for BCC Research, I'm excited to bring you along as we talk to the companies and individuals who are leading us into the future. Healthcare is a topic we've talked about quite a bit, but there's still so much to cover. Today, we're looking at the merging between the studies of nutrition and the current medical school system, what a care-based healthcare system looks like, and why these are crucial steps to ensuring a healthy society. Breaking this down is today's guest, Dr. Michael Clapper. With a background in surgery, anesthesiology, and orthopedics, Dr. Clapper's experience spans more than just his medical practice. Having served as the director of the Institute of Nutrition Education and Research from 1992 through 2015, as well as having practiced acute medicine in New Zealand for three years, Dr. Clapper has also fused medicine and nutrition through his work as a staff member at the True North Health Center, North America's premier nutritionally-based medical clinic. Clearly, this is the right man for this conversation. Dr. Clapper, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Clara. Good to be with you and your listeners. So to get us started, could you give us some background on yourself and your journey to becoming the doctor that you are today? Oh, my. Well, I'm a classically trained Western physician. I got my medical degree at the University of Illinois College of Medicine in Chicago. Uh, And for the first 10 years after picking up postgraduate training, as you mentioned, in surgery and anesthesia and orthopedics, uh, I practiced regular blood and guts medicine, did a lot of emergency medicine, uh, frontier medicine on Indian reservations, uh, did a lot of uh, standard medical care. Uh, but uh, I reached the point of despair in that my patients weren't getting healthier as the years would go by. I watched them all getting more obese, more hypertensive and diabetic and clogged up and inflamed. And it was very dispiriting. And after nine years of that, of that type of general practice, I went to uh, finish my anesthesia residency and become an anesthesiologist. And I was working in Vancouver at uh, Vancouver General Hospital in the cardiovascular anesthesia operating service, operating room. And day after day, I'm putting people to sleep and I'm watching surgeons open up their chest and open up the coronary arteries in their heart and from their arteries, pulling out this yellow greasy gut called atherosclerosis that's clogging up their arteries and, and leading to heart attacks and strokes. And already in the early 80s, uh, there were already studies showing that this is largely the fat of the animals these people are eating. They are, uh, when you go on a plant-based diet, these plaques start to melt away. Uh, And my dad died of clogged arteries. I knew I was going to be laying on that operating table with that striker saw going up my sternum. Didn't want that. I saw those folks and they woke up. And so uh, I decided to change my diet. I adopted a, a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, my body loved it. Within 12 weeks, a 20 pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great waking up in a nice lean light body every day. Uh, and I realized that I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist and spend my career putting people to sleep. I'd rather go back to general practice and help them wake up. 
So I did, much to my parents' dismay. I left my anesthesia residency, went back to general practice. But now I knew what to tell my overweight, hypertensive, diabetic patients. I found someone in uh, my area who was giving plant-based cooking lessons. I would send my patients to them and uh, with a lot of instruction. And those patients who could adopt a, a largely plant-based diet, they didn't have to be 100% vegan, a little bit of meat once a week or so was okay. But the majority of food going down their throats is our, our hearty vegetable soups and, and colorful salads and steamed veggies and, and, and stir fries and curries, all plant-based. Well, the same thing happens with these folks. They get leaner, their arteries relax, their high blood pressure starts to come down, their insulin receptors clear out, uh, they, you get them off their insulin, you get them off their high blood pressure medication, their joints stop hurting, the asthmatic lungs stop wheezing so much, the migraine headaches get better. They, they turn into normal, healthy people right in front of your eyes. It's the most glorious, rewarding transformation in medicine. And so that was 1981, and so I've been a plant-based uh, lifestyle uh, medicine physician ever since. And I'm the happiest doctor I know. My, my patients get healthy right before my eyes. It's, it's, it's just it's wonderful. I tell the medical students, isn't this what you want for your patient? What else, what, other, what higher gift could you want uh, than to transform uh, these, these people into a, uh, uh, into uh, someone who doesn't need our services anymore, quite honestly, and get them off their pills and let them go live their lives. I tell my patients, I want to see you in two places, at the health food store buying your tofu and on the bike path where I'll wave at you. That's about the only place I want to see you. Go, go, bike. <laughs> and um, so I've been very active. Uh, I realized that uh, after years of, of working with individual patients, it's too slow for the mission we have here. We, we've got to transform Western medicine. And so I realized the people I really need to be talking to are the medical students. Some, I wish somebody had told me this in medical school. When I was a first or second year med student, it would have changed the, my entire course of my medical career, it would have changed every diagnosis I made, changed every treatment plan I recommended. And, and the students need to know about this and the young docs need to know about this. Uh, my slide presentation, I give. A, I have a controversial slide and, and put out with good intention, but I list all these terrible diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure, atherosclerosis, and uh, I say these are all reversible diseases. Every one of them uh, will disappear on a healthy diet and lifestyle. And I click the slide and the question comes up, you want to heal these patients or don't you? I mean, really? Why'd you go into medicine? Want to heal them? Then get real about what they're eating, because that's why they're sitting in front of you, doctor. Now, we, we, we treat their patients, we practice medicine like what our patients are eating has no effect on these diseases. Like in the Harry Potter movies, uh, Voldemort, the name that must not be spoken. You know, Ooh, don't ask about what the patient's eating. We're Americans. We can eat whatever we want. Yeah, but your arteries got something to say about that. Your prostate glands got something to say about that. Your waistline got something to say about that. And... Uh, and the good man, the beautiful thing is the food is delicious. You can eat all you want. If you have a fourth bowl of vegetable soup, who cares? It's just it's vegetable soup with water and fiber passes right through you. And so it's a guilt-free, delicious way of eating. And so I'm trying to uh, get the medical students to understand they have this powerful tool. It, it's not all there is involved. You've got to work on the patient's exercise and stress and sleep and all of that. But 
It's the food, it's the food, it's the food is why they're sitting in front of you, doctor, overweight, hypertensive, diabetic, and clogged up and inflamed. And you get them on a healthy diet, these diseases go away, and the students need to know that. So we've been, uh, so we established our nonprofit initiative, Moving Medicine Forward. And I've been going around to medical schools. We did uh, almost 30 medical schools last year uh, before COVID hit. And uh, since COVID, we've had to move online, and we can talk about that. We, we put our mm-hmm. uh, master classes in plant-based nutrition online. But we need a plant-based revolution in medicine. And as I said, patients don't have to be completely vegan and all that. But, but to ignore what the food is doing to our patients is to ignore why, you know, the, the underlying cause of these diseases. And more and more doctors are getting open to this. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine is, is, is pro, uh, openly promoting plant-based diets. The Plantrition Project brings thousands of plant-based doctors uh, from around the world every year get together. Yeah, it's, a, it's becoming a global movement, but the medical establishment is still stuck in its old fee-for-service model. You know, they only pay for doing something to people after they're already sick. You know, after the arteries are already clogged up, then we'll pay you for bypassing one little clog. But meanwhile, they're still all clogged up, and, and every, you know, you do this operation for half a million dollars with a wound infection and diabetic complication. They limp out of the hospital to go eat more cheeseburgers and buffalo wings and spare ribs to cl- and clog up their graft to come back for another operation. This is no way to practice medicine. You know, you want to heal these patients or don't you? So we need a new model of how medicine is is directed, how it's paid for. We've got to realign our entire model of healthcare, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that as uh, as our conversation unfolds here. Definitely, no. Uh, you've set you've set up the rest of this conversation perfectly, um, and I actually want to start with your Moving Medicine Forward initiative. Um, one of the major reasons, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but that nutrition isn't a major focus in for medical students is really a practical one um, in the sense that it's not on the medical licensing exam. Nutrition aren't questions that they need to be focusing on. There's a ton of information they need to retain. So it kind of gets put to the side, even if they are interested in it. So starting there, how are you working to circumvent this issue to really make it an important element of their studies? Oh, Claire, you put your finger on such an important point. Um, it's it's embarrassing um, the way our medical education process totally just blows past what our patients are eating. Nutrition is barely even mentioned. Uh, some, you get a couple of lectures on scurvy and rickets, and, uh, and that's about it, with diseases you never see. And uh, it leaves such a huge gaping hole in our, in our understanding of, of disease and how to help people. Um, so why does this uh, exist? One, um, again, doctors just, we're not taught about nutrition. We just skip over it. Don't have respect for, for the discipline. Ah, they send them to the dietitian. I'm up in the operating room doing real medicine. I'm doing surgery. And meanwhile, they're up there dealing with the infections and the infarctions and the amputations for what their patients are eating. They're, they're all dealing with nutrition-based diseases, but that, that's another issue. And third, they're eating the same foods themselves in the cafeteria and in the restaurants, and so they're not going to tell their patients don't eat that. So we've got this, uh, this triple uh, thread of, that keeps the, the momentum going to ignore nutrition. But then there's this other issue. Um, I gave a lecture 
um, at the University of Washington up in Seattle. And uh, a professor of surgery came up to me afterwards and says, you know, a great lecture, really important stuff. But, you know, Doc, they don't ask about this on the national boards and, uh, and on, on the exams that all the med students have to take. And until they start asking, we're not going to be teaching them. We, we just don't have it's enough for us to get in physiology and physical diagnosis. We don't have time for this. So we said, well, then let's go to the National Board of Medical Examiners and let's get some questions on the national boards. And so a number of us from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine did exactly that. And uh, the national board said, okay, we agree. We need to start asking about this, but we don't know anything about it. You guys make up the questions, bring them to us, and we'll select some to put on the, uh, on the, on the national board exams. So um, a group of physicians uh, from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine are constructing a pool of a thousand questions of um, lifestyle and diet um, that they're going to present to the uh, National Board of Medical Examiners. I'm reviewing a lot of those questions. Uh, and we're going to try and do that exact same, that exact mission is to, is to get this on the national board so the students start asking about it because it's a... Yeah, so the uh, so the students uh, are open to it, so the students start being taught uh, about it. Um, the students want it; they know um, that there's something up here. There's a there's been some very powerful films out. Uh, one's called Forks Over Knives, uh, where you see people clogged up and obese and diabetic and inflamed get on a whole food plant based diet, and you see them transform right before your eyes, uh, and they turn into these lean, healthy people off their medications. Well, in the medical schools I go lecture to, there's in every first, second, third year class, there's 30, 40 students. They've seen Forks Over Knives. They've seen What the Health. They've seen Cowspiracy. They've seen these films. The light's on. They know that they're hungry for this nutrition information because they they understand its power. The old guard stands in the back of the room with their arms folded during, during the lecture because it, it threatens their model. But, uh, but we should have no loyalty to an old model that doesn't serve us anymore where the horse and buggy days are over we need to keep people healthy kind of keep them from tangling with this outrageously expensive um, hospital system which in its place is, is life-saving thank god for all those people doing acute care medicine and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful thing and it's when you need it um, but for those but for most of the diseases that plague uh, Americans walking around, the, the obesity, the diabetes, the high blood pressure. The, all we do, all the doctors come up with, we'll control, your, we'll manage your high blood pressure, we'll manage your, your diabetes. I, I didn't go into medicine to manage chronic disease. I wanted to cure people. And these are curable diseases. They go away, but nobody's telling the students that or the young docs. So that's what our Moving Medicine Forward initiative is, is trying to do. And if people want to learn more about it, uh, go to my website, drclapper.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R.com, uh, and, and you'll see Moving Medicine Forward there. Just click on it, and you'll, you'll see exactly what we're doing. Yeah, and I'll add that link in the show notes as well. Um, so before we jump into another system that needs some change, uh, the healthcare system, uh, let's talk about COVID. So to start, how has COVID impacted the your work overall, both from the, I mean, in a lot of ways, there are some people saying that it, it impacts people with lower immune systems and in, you know, people with high inflammation have lower immune systems. So are you seeing the implication of the lifestyle you're promoting with COVID? And, and then how are you circumventing the issues around uh, reaching more people? 
Oh, a profound uh, COVID it certainly influenced my work, uh, like everybody else on this uh, on this globe these days. Uh, and there's been obstacles, but also silver linings. Uh, I before, you know, nothing can substitute for getting up in front of a, a, a group of 200 interested medical students in person and talking to them and answering their questions and and really interacting with them. And um, COVID took the big uh, eraser and uh, and hit the delete key on that or whatever. And so we had to move online. And um, um, you'll have, uh, I hope, in the show notes there, uh, our uh, master class in plant-based clinical nutrition uh, to to where students can actually learn this, this body of information. But you said something very profound. How has it changed the uh, the relevance of the of the plant-based message in a profound way in that the major health uh, impediments, obstacles, uh, diseases that stalk uh, Western societies, the obesity, the diabetes, high blood pressure, these are chronic diseases. They will kill you. They'll give you strokes and heart attacks and make your life miserable. But they're kind of slow motion diseases. And they always let you say, well, I'll deal with my my diabetes next week. I'll deal with my obesity next month. I'll really get on my blood pressure uh, next week, whatever. Well, COVID um, takes that away. COVID brings your health, your chronic health issues in immediate uh, importance to you. Um, your obesity, if you get COVID, it's an immediate threat to your life. It will kill you. Um, the, your diabetes, COVID loves that. It, it is now an immediate threat with you. You do, do not wait till next year to start working on your diabetes. Uh, and the beauty about a, a whole food plant-based diet, you keep your belly full of soup and salads and greens and veggies and, and again, the chilies and the stews and uh, all these wonderful foods. Um, it, it directly confronts and reverses those direct health threats. The obesity melts away, the diabetes resolves, the arteries open up, the high blood pressure comes down, uh, lungs start to move better. Uh, all the way around, it, it's you know the exact uh, prophylactic uh, reversing program for uh, for COVID prevention, you know, and so it it's, it brings it into an, an immediate uh, it lends an immediacy uh, to the plant based message because it, it it dovetails beautifully with well what can people do. Uh, and that's been so disappointing to see how this whole COVID thing has happened. There have been so many failures, but one is especially during the early lockdown days, but even now, but last March, if the doctors had gotten on TV and say, listen, you're going to be home for the next six, eight weeks, use this time to start eating healthy, get yourself healthier, come out of this tunnel leaner and healthier with normal blood pressures, do telemedicine consult with your primary care doc to get to lower your medicines, melt that obesity away. That's the best thing you could do to defend yourself against COVID. But we're Americans, we can do whatever we want, right? So nobody gave us that kind of direction. But it was a real missed opportunity. But even now, uh, it's not too late for individuals. Uh, start eating healthy, uh, get yourself healthy, and COVID has a much less chance of, of uh, being severe if, if you should contract it. So one thing that I think COVID has also brought to light, you mentioned that it really has highlighted all of the issues that we're facing and brought it up close. Um, and I'm really interested to hear your response to this because I know that you uh, worked not just in the U.S., but you've worked in New Zealand. You've also worked with a variety of different groups of people. 
COVID has shown the health discrepancies facing certain racial and ethnic groups. Um, is that something that you're also working on, um, either through moving medicine forward, or is that part of your of your overall plan? Absolutely, absolutely. And there's a lot in your question, of course. And uh, many of the, especially the minority groups uh, who seem to be especially hard hit, uh, Native Americans, people of color, uh, a lot has to do with the socioeconomic cards they got dealt. They're the result of their zip code. And uh, if you don't have, you have, don't have a lot of money uh, to pay the rent, it's easier to get junk food from the convenience store than really healthy diet. And as a result, obesity and diabetes and high blood pressure are rampant among those folks and, and the COVID uh, exacts a particularly severe toll there. Um, so what, what are we going to do? Uh, we need to address this, and uh, we're finishing up our 12-unit uh, master class in plant-based clinical nutrition. And after this last class uh, on December 20th, uh, we're going to take all the people who've been, uh, the hundreds and hundreds of people who've been part of this course, and we're going to establish the plant-based clinical community. And once a month, uh, we're all going to sign on. We'll give a presentation. What's the latest in plant-based nutrition? Uh, how is it being used in this disease or that disease? And then very importantly, one, what's happening at your medical school, your hospital, uh, to, to start getting nutrition awareness in, into the practice at your, at your local, at your family practice, your clinic, et cetera. And what, what can we do in your local communities? How can we address food deserts? What, what, is, work, what is working in your area? Because we've got a vast array of health professionals. We've got pharmacists and dentists and community health nurses and, uh, and chiropractors and health coaches. We have a large community here, and they, they're all in touch with their local uh, situation. And so this is going to be an open forum about what's working and what's not working in their area uh, to see how we can get plant-based awareness and just healthy diet and lifestyle um, uh, happening in each of these individual areas. And we cross-pollinate each other with uh, different ideas. So, so we'll be a force to, to help uh, start resolving some of these inequities. Well, I love that. And, you know, bringing together a community and then, I mean, it really comes down to people. People are the solutions to this. And to see how that's going to be cultivated with one mission is very exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, okay, we're going to pivot slightly and talk about I what I consider to be a very ambitious um, mm. change, but one that I think is needed. So for those with their finger on the pulse of what's changing within healthcare, the term care-based medicine is something they may have heard. But for those who haven't, can you expand on what it is and what the switch from service-based or fee-based medicine to this care-based system would look like and why you think it's essential for reimagining what healthcare will look like? Absolutely. This is one of the most exciting, most challenging, but most exciting opportunities that await us all. And and people who see this and seize it from the business point of view and in the insurance world are are going to do such a wonderful service for our society as well as make a lot of money doing it. And and here's the way it looks from this country doctor's point of view. Uh, we're talking about what's called. Um, 
patient-centered medicine or value-based medicine. Uh, and as you mentioned, currently it's fee-for-service. Uh, you, uh, you do an operation, someone take out their gallbladder, bypass their heart arteries, uh, and you get paid by some agency, insurance or Medicare or whatever. Uh, and again, it's disease It's disease care. The, the, the horse has left the barn, we're, we're cleaning up the wreckage of what the patient's eating, but heaven forbid they should even let, let that in the equation. Just we etiology unknown. We don't know why these diseases, we don't know why high blood pressure develops, but we'll, we'll treat you with these pills. We don't know why diabetes develops. We'll, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll treat, but you take these insulin shots and we'll pay for that. Uh, and I have a plaque in my office that says, it's the food. <laughs> reason why, but, uh, but, um, but so far, it's just been paying for the uh, for the results of a bad diet and life. So the majority of these uh, diseases and surgeries are the result of what the patient's eating and how they're they're living their lives. And as we as we mentioned, if you get them on a healthy diet and lifestyle, these diseases reverse. Now, the fee for service payout um, is kind of a black hole. You just shovel money into it, but nobody's really getting healthier. Americans who are getting more obese and sicker and more and, uh, hypertensive and diabetic. It's not really producing health. Uh, now, uh, let, let me tell you a story. Um, Dr. Kim Williams uh, was his head of cardiology at Rush University Hospital in Chicago. And I was on a panel with him a few months ago. I said, hey, Kim, how's it doing? Said, okay. I said, just okay? I said, I said, he said, yeah. I said, what's the problem? He says, well, I'm, I'm chairman of cardiology of this big referral hospital. I got 25 cardiologists under working under me. No, we're the main hospital in, in, in one of the main hospitals in Chicago area. And because I'm a plant-based doc and have a department, I've got 14 of my 25 cardiologists are vegan cardiologists. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. I said, wow, your patients might get some great results. He said, yeah, we sure do. When they come in, we assign them a plant-based dietitian. She shows them videos. She takes them shopping. She helps them make soup. So, you know, she really gets them on the program. And I said, wow, you, 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 they must get great results. He says, yeah. I said, what's the problem? says, well, they come in all clogged up with angina and blue legs and high blood pressure and mini strokes. You get them on a whole food plant-based diet and you never see them again. Their, their arteries open up, their angina goes away, and they don't need our stents and stents. I said, well, that's wonderful. He says, yeah, but we, but the income that our department has, has uh, been providing the hospital to took a nosedive, so much so that we got called in by administration. They said, what's up? You, you guys used to be a profit center. Now you're a loss leader here. What, what's happening? And he said, well, what's happening? We're curing our patients. This is what's happening. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? He says, yeah, but we got a multi-million dollar budget. You just blew a hole in it here. We, we can't go on like this. And uh, I, said, um, I said, so what's happening? And uh, what are you going to do? He says, well, the bean counter's got to change the way the beans flow. Uh, shortly after I saw that, I talked to him about this. I met another lovely man, Ken Beckman. Who's a who's a plant-based insurance actuary, and uh, and he says, Doc, uh, we got to turn the old model on its head here. When we pay for a coronary artery bypass, by the time we pay the surgeon and the and the anesthesiologist and the ORs and recovery and rehab also, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and the surgeon makes about five thousand dollars of that. 
If, however, the surgeon is has a plant-based lifestyle medicine awareness and tells the patient, hey, before I cut you open and rearrange your plumbing, you go on a whole food plant-based diet, you can melt these plaques away from the inside. And if you do that, you won't need the operation. The patient does that, the plaques melt away, the angina goes away, does need the operation. You know, the insurance executive is saying, so listen, doc, so now we're sitting on that 250000 You know, the surgeon would have made 5000 for doing the operation. We'll give him 10000 for talking his patient out of it, to getting him on a whole healthy diet. We'll pay this, we'll pay the doc, we'll pay the patient 10000 or we'll lower his premium, uh, his health insurance premium significantly. And we still are sitting on $210,000 profit. And... Um, so he says, and this is especially important for the for the companies that are self-insured, Amazon, Whole Foods, these folks, um, they're not paying Blue Cross for their thousands of employees, they're self-insured. So it's in their benefit to keep their patients as healthy, their, their employees as healthy as possible, so they don't have to be paying for these tests and procedures. So, uh, and about 125 million people in America are, are work for self-insured companies. And so here's a great opportunity for these big corporations who self-insure to, to really uh, start paying uh, incentives for doctors to keep their patients healthy. I'm told in ancient China, the tradition was that the, that the patient paid the doctor every day while they're healthy. But as soon as the patient got sick, the money stopped. And so now it's, in the, it's a big incentive for the doctor to keep your patients healthy. Absolutely. Well, this is kind of, yeah, well, it's kind of echoes of that. But seriously, the, the, we, the surgeon would have earned 5000 for doing the procedure, 10000 for not doing the procedure, for talking getting his patient healthy instead. And, and so there's money to be saved. The, um, Ken Beckman said, said <clears throat> um, we can we can quantitate this for every reduction of one percent in hemoglobin A1C, an index of diabetes control. We save three thousand dollars. We'll give the doctor five hundred bucks for that, or or a thousand dollars, and the patient. And we're still we're still saving money on that. Because um, there's value for every CEO that doesn't go down with a heart attack. There's value for the because they're still employing people. They're still paying taxes. There's there's value in keeping it to the community for keeping people healthy, real life monetary value. Because when a, when a young breadwinner gets a colon cancer, he's now a medical patient and he stopped paying taxes. He's now a drain on the medical system. You, there's value in health and we have to find a way to, to tap that. Now, um, so this is value-based care and uh, and there's ingenious ways to do this. Uh, and I'm told there is an insurance company. So what's going to what's, what's going to do the breakthrough? What's going to what's going to break up the logjam? What will it take? Because the big insurance company's got a death grip, so to speak, on on the way medicine is practiced and the way it's paid for. Right. There is a um, I learned recently of in Israel there's a health insurance company Klal C L A L that gives a vegan discount, uh, a substantial discount, VPL, vegans pay less. And you can uh, check out their VPL policy because they know they're going to have to spend less money for their, on their vegan patients. So this is what, it, what's, what it's going to take. It's going to take some brave upstart insurance companies to start giving sizable discounts for people who live healthy lifestyles. We, we already give a non-smokers discount. 
um, well, you could do this. Um, if you, you can go to the local, even the local pharmacy where the nurse is at the walk-in clinic there, step on a scale, uh, she'll check your weight. If you're no more than five pounds over your ideal body weight, she'll check your blood pressure. If your blood pressure is, is 130 or uh, 80 or less, uh, she'll record that. She'll check your urine. If there's no cochineine in your urine from smoking, she'll record that. And she'll stick your finger and check your cholesterol. And if it's a cholesterol is below 150, you know, record that. And take that to send that into your insurance company, and you should get a Whopper discount um, for that. And uh, and this incentivizes people to um, to do um, positive lifestyle practices, and that plant-based diet is a, the key to that. But it but yeah, there's other factors involved. So we just got to see a different way to, to to have the beans flowing there. There's plenty of beans in the system, but we got to make them flow. The people keeping people healthy, and it's doable. Right. And the public will support it. Well, especially when you bring in the money and you show that that, that it's in their benefit to do so. Um, however, there is some skeptics will, will say that the issue with care-based system is that uh, then some doctors won't have their t- uh, patients tested, right? They won't do certain procedures if it's going to save them money. So what would you say, like, how do we navigate this kind of tightrope where when money is on the line and it really is the doctor's discretion whether or not certain tests or procedures need to occur, do you foresee that actually being an issue? That's a fascinating question. It could be if we let it. Um, if, if there's a sincere desire, let's really, let's reward doctors for helping their patients get healthy. Let's reward the patients. Let's reward everybody for getting healthy here. There's surely ways to, to set that incentive system up where um, a patient um, uh, who needs a procedure should certainly get that procedure. But if it's uh, if it's done for a, uh, if they get a, uh, a patient who's a smoker and there has a chronic cough and he has to get a bronchoscopy because he coughed up some blood or, or whatever, you know, he should certainly get that procedure. But meanwhile, it's noted this patient's been smoking so much that he's coughing up blood. And uh, the doctor should be rewarded for helping him keep that from uh, helping him to stop smoking and should be some disincentive if in a year that's not addressed. Say, you know, there, there's ways to do that through, through reimbursement. But medicine's gonna change. You know, we, in some way we've got too many urban cardiologists. They're, they're gonna, there's always gonna be congenital heart disease and, and infectious cardiomyopathies. They'll be, we only have any unemployed cardiologists. But maybe they're gonna be doing fewer bypasses and fewer stents, and, and that's okay. And, and medicine just has to adapt. And uh, it's, it's kind of big and bloated right now. Medicine needs to trim down. Uh, as well as as our patients do, and so yes, there's going to be some squeaks, and you know, well, how, what, what's I'm going to lose money on this? Well, you'll pick up another skill, you'll join a, a different type of practice, you may change locations. There's ways uh, the, the doctor's initial resistance should not be an insurmountable barrier here. Got it. That's, I mean, I agree. When it comes to, when you look at the system as a whole and making sure each piece operates properly, you're setting everyone up for success, which is the goal. <laughs> the success being health. Here, 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 here. 
Dr. Clapper, this was a fantastic conversation. I can't thank you enough for your time. Before I let you go, I do have one last question for you, and it's kind of a big one, but I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Okay. Um, looking at the healthcare industry in 10, 20, or even 30 years from now, what evolutions do you foresee developing? And this can be both positive or even negative. Oh, my. Uh, I will choose to accentuate the positive here. Um, I would see uh, every family physician, every family doctor's office. Uh, when I practiced in New Zealand, uh, urgent care, uh, we had, there were so many people with sprains and injuries coming in that we had, that they all would need physiotherapy for their, uh, for their rehabilitation. We had a physiotherapist right in the, in the family doctor's office. They, they had their own department there. Well, every family doctor's office should have a dietitian. And have her own office or his own office there. And the patients who come in with clearly diet-based diseases, uh, I want you to see Miss Smith next door here, and she's going to work with you about what to eat. Uh, she'll, she'll show you some videos. She'll uh, come to your house. She'll take you shopping. And I want to see you back here in a month. And let make sure I want to make sure you're losing weight and your blood pressure's down, etc. Uh, the dietitian will be incorporated into the triumph the uh the the initial configuration of, of primary care because right now she's peripheral and ignored uh, all of nutrition is ignored so uh, that's one positive viewing i see is that nutrition will take a, a front and center view uh, front and center role as far as uh, getting people healthy and um and money won't be an issue uh, for for patients. Uh, I practiced in Canada, where the, where money did not change hands between the patient and the doctor, and it was a liberating way to practice medicine. And I hope we're able to find some way where uh, again doctors were worth for keeping people healthy, and the the, the money uh, is not a deterrent for patients seeking that kind of uh, positive health care. I love that. I mean, I'm all for it. I'm excited to see that develop. Um, I'm really excited to see the uh, your initiative, Moving Medicine Forward, how that impact is going to continue to occur. And um, I'm also keeping up on when the, the when nutrition becomes important on the medical exams for students. I mean, you're doing so much work and it's fantastic. So thank you. Um, I know you mentioned it earlier, but if people wanted to find you, do you mind giving your website or your wherever else they can find you? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, my website is drclapper.com, and it's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R.com, 1pmclapper.com there. Okay, so thanks for letting me get that out, and people will see all, all the work we're doing when they come to the website. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you, Clara. It's been an honor and a delight. Thank you for listening to the You Should Know This podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing or sending us a quick five-star review. Episodes come out weekly, and we're excited to bring you along as we talk to the companies and individuals who are leading us into the future.